No, we don't. We just talk about them individually. We didn't link. We didn't link Mike Bassett to um, Marcus Browning, did we? We didn't go. Oh, yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike Bassett. Mike Bassett's there, we blowing fans and whistles and creating goals, and Marcus Browning to roll into the back of the net. And by the way, there's Bradley Walsh in the black for him. You know. <laughs> Right, thanks for joining us for episode two of the Toe End Bar podcast. Today we talk about sand pits, dog shit on shoes and professionalism. There's Bradley Walsh on the Blackthorn end and shopping trolleys in canals. God, I love sport. my 18th birthday so i'm pretty sure i was in bsb on the waterfront getting steaming well that might have been the opening ceremony it was one of the two so either way i was i, I was in bsb um you know lloyd's is or whatever it is now it might still be bsb actually and um yeah getting absolutely steaming down down there but i do like your um summarize or your summation of, of long jump <laughs> he jumped the furthest <laughs> and he won <laughs> that's long jump covered <laughs> Say this was your 18th, what, this was 20 years ago? Yeah, fuck off, mate. Yeah, old jokes. Brilliant. Fantastic. If that, if I, if that makes me, like, 38 or whatever I'd be now, how old are you? 32. 32. <laughs> Benjamin Button, you're going backwards. <laughs> I actually feel quite sorry for Greg Rutherford, because I think in 20 years' time, when the when the pub quiz when the, yeah there's that and when the pub quiz question comes out who were the three gold medal winners on uh, Super Saturday no one's gonna remember who he was N- nobody yeah definitely you you also have struggled with the injuries since as well haven't you so because I, I don't even particularly recall hearing his name like as a like a um, medal candidate before yeah he wasn't he wasn't the favourite yeah, I think it's a bit unsurprised don't I think yeah he wasn't the favourite by any stretch of imagination I think the um the Australian fellow who came second and was lost by a centimeter. I mean, that is. T- how do you even measure it as well? How do, you, how do they know when they hit, where, where they've hit the, the sand first or furthest? Well, they have um, they, they have a tape measure. Yeah, I know. I can. I know they do that. It's pretty. It's pretty obvious when you watch it. But how do they know which bit of the ground to measure? Is it well, the, well, it's it's the, the, the land on? Yeah, it's the furthest part back, isn't it? I don't yeah, know. It's, it's where they land. Because if I was all right, say that. If I was, uh... yeah, they, they, they don't just ra- you know randomly measure a bit in the in the in the. It's where they actually land. It's but... quite it's quite ingenious, really. <laughs> but if I was a long jumper, I just roll. If it's the furthest bit away, just roll to the end. Surely. No, 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 just no, no, no. Chucking no, a little no, tumble. No. It's the closest bit to the 
to the line, to the to the you board. You've just been a bit silly lately, can't you? No, I because I, I just want roll. them how they do it. Because if you roll, it'll be it'll basically be a bit of sa- <laughs> the first grain of sand after the board. Yeah, you're not going to win, are you? You're yeah, not gonna win. You're, you're, not, you're not quite getting this, are you? It's not it's not really a jump, that, is it? For example, if you if you actually jumped into the sand and then you got up and walked backwards, it would be the, the where you walk to would be where you, where it measures. That's why they walk forwards, not walk backwards. You that's why they try. But that's what I'm saying. Them. Why don't they? Why don't they just chuck in a little slide? Why don't they just when they've landed, just slide, just 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 use him? Why do they stop dead? They must be measuring it where the feet land or something. They must be. Do you, do you fancy furthest... sliding in a pit of sand? That would really hurt. Yeah, it would hurt. But for a gold medal, I do it. It's, it's the closest mark that the, the, the jumper makes to the board where they where they take off. Yeah, it's a silly sport, that really. Is, isn't it? That is. Correct, it's a silly sport. It is a silly sport. It's basically kids playing in sand. Right, th- thank you for uh, just slandering my clip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wait to the documentary, mate. You had your fun last week. I can't wait to talk about this documentary. But I, I, just a little bit on Greg Rutherford as well. He um, he went and broke the British record, or the UK record, for long jumping. And speak, you know we're doing this social distancing and no one's allowed in stadiums. This was at an international athletic event in a stadium in Austin, Texas. Can you guess how many people were there to witness Greg Rutherford break the British and European record for the long jump? Can we have uh, some context as to the size of the stadium, the capacity of the stadium? I think the stadium was in the 20,000s. So it, was, it wasn't a huge stadium. Wow. Nothing like the Olympic Bowl. 9,000 or 900 or 9? Nine? nine people. Nine people. Any advances on nine, Ollie? I'm going to go 110. 110. Incredibly, there were 38 people at a live international (laughs) athletics event that counted to go and watch Greg Rutherford and other sports, don't forget. It's not just a long jump. This was a a proper international athletics event to watch and and Greg Rutherford broke the the record there. If you're attracting 38 people as a whole during your qualifiers or during your, you know, when you're not doing the Olympic sports and the money's not being pumped in, I'd sack all the sports off in the Olympics. It's a school fate for me, the Olympics. I can't got, stand it. You've got to question the marketing team there, haven't you? They yeah. really struggle to sell tickets, haven't they? Yeah, they really have. You're getting five. I mean, maybe maybe not. Maybe 38 was... Maybe that was a crowd. <laughs> maybe that was... Maybe that was, like, exceeded expectations. Because I certainly wouldn't go and watch any of that. It's sponsors that come to watch. That was... Yeah, or scouts or something. Paid. Yeah. Yeah, they were comps. The only thing I'd say is, I can imagine long jump is particularly rubbish to watch in the stadium because if you can't see it on the telly it's got to be back average hasn't it yeah it is it is ostensibly and I'm not knocking it because they're Olympic champions and fair play to them they've, they've, they've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of training and they, they are at the top of their game but ostensibly they're jumping into a sandpit it's not it's not entertainment for that count the number of minutes of the Olympics in my lifetime that I've watched on one hand. Yeah, I'm pretty similar with that, to be honest with you. Well, so, see, I'm the complete opposite. I get right into it. I like watching different sports. Like, Do you? I get right into archery. That's a good sport. Oh, it's not a sport, though. It, it, well, maybe it is a sport. I don't want to get in that way. It's but, the Olympics. <clears throat> but I, I think it's just a collection of all the shit no one wants to watch every four years. Just dump it on. Yeah, but as I, we've had this conversation in episode one, I would watch England play tiddlywinks. Yeah, but it's it, not uh, England. Or, well, Great Britain then, or whatever. Well, I, I do consider myself British. Yeah. So. But I don't. Was, it's 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 rowing. Like, when would you watch rowing? 
you, you say that I'd watch England do it or Great Britain. You don't watch it any other time of the year other than when they just have this massive school fate jumble sale style attraction. I'm surprised there's not co- a coconut shy there and there's a fucking guy in an ice cream van, a competitive ice cream van buying. It's, it's, it's rubbish. I'm a, for me, I, I can't stand the Olympics. Who won the, who won the sack race in the last Olympics? <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Just get, um, you know. Oh, there's way better sports. Not have an egg and spoon race. That'd be, that'd be much more exciting. Much more. Get the dads out. Get the athletics. Get their um. Get them to get their athletes to get the dads out and do the dads race and the dads long jump. The fucking yeah, blokes with beer bellies coming in. That's the sport I want to see. Not this. Three legged mate. Let's have a three legged <laughs> marathon. That'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> How long would that take you? In all seriousness. Well, half the time. Uphill as well. Yeah. Steeplechase, three-legged steeplechase. Well, they've got to make them train in the um in the conditions that the British athletes have to train in. So they've got a polvo vote over a local Asda. <laughs> Jumping in that shopping trolleys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, their their rowing training is getting a shopping trolley out of a canal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The Olympics covered. <laughs> God, pe- pe- people come to us for insight. Jesus Christ. Yeah, sorry, Ollie. I feel like we've just shit on your clip a little bit there, but. Absolutely. So, one thing to try, Shannon, like, I can assure you, I will not be bringing any long jump related clips to the Totem Bar ever again. Good. I, I think, I think. Can we, can we agree on that? Can we agree on a long jump ban? <laughs> can, we have, can we have that in writing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Right, so has anyone got anything more to say on 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 the long jump? I know we're going to cover Kelly Holmes in a bit. Um, yeah, we've just landed the Olympics. I'm pretty sure later on there's more Olympic-based fun. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Keep locked at this end of the dial. <laughs> right, so uh, you know we'll move on to to the second clip, which is my clip. Um, it's kind of joint with. Um, with with Andy and 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 my clip actually, um, I, I brought Ronnie O'Sullivan doing what was at the time the quickest one four seven um, snooker's ever seen. It was eight minutes forty seven seconds or whatever it was, and um, in 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 professional cricket, cricket, what a dickhead cricket. snooker. Um, <laughs> I, I I know, but the man's a genius. But I don't know if he can he, he transcend the sport. Fucking hell. Episode two is descending into chaos. Um, <laughs> Very professional yeah. operation. Oh God. Um, yeah, so yeah, that... I drink last night by any chance. <laughs> no, I, I actually didn't. I had the tunes on all night. That's what I was doing. I did nothing. But yeah, we had um, Ronnie O'Sullivan um, playing snooker. I think top five athletes or sports people this country's ever produced. And I, I put athlete, actually, because he's a, he's a keen fun runner. So he can do a, t- a 20k quite easily. So I'll, I'll claim the word athlete. He can do a three-legged marathon. Yeah. Now that, him and Mark Selby, that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can, we, can I just question the thinking behind I get criticised for bringing a long jump clip to the Totem Bar. You have, you've bought a sporting clip that's played in a in a pub most of the time. Yeah. Con- consuming alcohol and I, I get some stick for bringing a long jump clip. Yeah. That's madness. How many, how many long jumps you see in the pub? None. We're in a Totem Bar. Um, 
Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> snooker, it's, it's, the, it's the people's game, this. But um, for me, one of the best sports people this country has ever produced. Um, you know, a genius, a maverick, a natural talent. He's one of those people, and he's also one of those that performs best when he's been pissed off or when he's wound up or when he's got something to prove. And I think having a, having a maverick or having a talent like that, a dangerous talent like that, is, um, is, is so good to watch. You could, you could watch highlight after highlight after highlight of Ronnie O'Sullivan. But I think what's amazing about this clip is, have you seen the, um, the stitch-up of him and Mark Selby? And he does his one four seven in the time it takes Mark Selby to play one shot. Have you seen that? seen that clip, yeah. It's, it's remarkable, isn't it? It really is mental. One shot and, he, and Ronnie O'Sullivan's cleared the board in that time. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. You, you a keen pool and snooker player, Luke? I'm pretty good at pool. Snooker, I, I'm absolutely terrible at snooker. I think everyone is, aren't they? It's the it's got to be the hardest game in the world to play. It's the hardest game. I think, I think snooker and then golf is the hardest sports in the world <laughs> to, to, to be any good at. You literally have to practice every day for like six, seven hours to be remotely good. Yeah. Not even, you know, not even in the same class as Ronnie O'Sullivan because people do practice seven, eight, nine hours a day and are nowhere near as good as Ronnie O'Sullivan. The bloke is an absolute genius. It's in um, trouble as well, isn't it, as a sport, really? I mean, the, the, the characters are long gone. You know, in the 80s, I'm jealous of, of Andy, you know, loving snooker from, from sort of the 70s and 80s onwards when, you know, they had just a bunch of 30 stone blokes drink, smoking fags and drinking beer and, you know... They all were, it? Yeah. You, you, you do eight pints and, and, and make a century break. I can't do that if I... I could practice for, you know, 10 years and I'd probably never make a century break in that time. And he's done it they pissed up. He's done it seeing multiple balls. every single frame. So during every frame, he would, he would drink a pint. So you imagine, if he actually played in the World Championships and played in a um, first to 15 and won 15-14 in one, in one game, and he had a pint after every frame. Fucking hell. So he had, the, he had I know, he, 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 there's a, a very famous story of him and Dennis Taylor going to the, um, the snooker club, and Bill Werbenick was drinking whiskey and and coke or whiskey and lemonade something like that and Dennis Taylor actually fell asleep whilst, whilst Bill was at the table Dennis Taylor was so drunk he fell asleep um, in, in the corner and Bill came and woke him up after he cleared the table and said come on Dennis what are you doing son we're going, we're going for the bar and have a proper drink oh, that, <laughs> that's, that's me that I would I as a drunk, I fall asleep. You know, I can have a few pints. Andy will attest to this. You know, last time I was around here, I just passed out on his sofa, and uh, couldn't couldn't be working for love nor money. But um, yeah, I, I I can't imagine how hard it is to play snooker, pissed up, even like three or four pints in, and you you know you're a little bit tipsy. It's so it is such a difficult sport to play, and um, to have had eight pints. But for but for Ronnie Sullivan, you know, he's sort of come in as the game sort of professionalised and it's been marketed and, and, you know, that the Asian markets have come in. And for him to still be at the top, you know, there's a billion people in China and it's one of the biggest sports. And for him to still, not really, he doesn't even seem to enjoy cricket that much. He's one of those, he, he plays in spite of his talent, not because there's of his a, talent. There's a lot of cricket going on here. <laughs> Did I say cricket Wait, again? Oh, fucking hell. I've got that Lord Lucan feedback saying we sp- it was better be about gas and all he's all done is talk about cricket. He's in my head. Yeah. Ronnie O'Sullivan has <sighs> been about him with Alistair Cook. <laughs> <laughs> D. John Wee's coming Ronnie in the bowl. Hey? I bet Ronnie O'Sullivan could play cricket. Y- yeah? Seems like the man's got, got a lot of talent. He could probably play anything, couldn't he? The bloke, he just but he could probably play cricket with his snooker cue and still score some runs. He'd score yeah. more runs than I would. With a, yeah, with a snooker cue. The, the bloke's insane. The bloke is 
by far and away, as you say, one of the best sports people this country's ever produced. Steve Davis was a, was a machine. Stephen Hendry was an absolute machine, you know, who could win games and had it all. But as, as an actual natural talent, I think Ronnie is better than all of them. But Ronnie, Ronnie changed the game as well, didn't he? Because he, he came in, and his his style of play was was break building, and he'd go and he wouldn't come in and, and try and play snookers and make the game last twenty five years. He'd come in and he'd, he, he, he you know similar to T twenty, which we'll discuss later in the um in the snooker documentary. Let's see if you see if you got my joke there. And um <laughs> and similar similar to T twenty, he came in and he sped the game up massively. And he, they, you know they've introduced shot clocks now to to start speeding up to see more players and generate more players like. Ronnie O'Sullivan because it's it's such it's so much more entertaining as a product, but he completely revolutionised the sport. People would play for snookers, and you know frames would last as long as you know some of them would last hours because they were trying to they were trying to make the other person foul into submission. Whereas Ronnie was like, "Oh fuck this! I'll just I'll just clear the table. I'll just I'll just outscore you." And it was it, it hadn't it hadn't been done before because no no one could do it because it's so it's so difficult. It's such a difficult skill that no no one was was really capable of doing it before he came along. He's ridiculous talent. Ridiculous that, talent. That, that said, his safety play is also like very, very good. He's, he's, a lot of people just think when they see Roddy O'Sullivan, they go, "Oh, he's a potting machine. He's a break builder." But is some of his safety play is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I um, I love watching him. You know, Snook is one of those that when you're hung over on a Sunday afternoon, and it happens to be that you know the, the the final. You're like, oh, thank fuck for that. Nice, easy watching something. You know, it's, it's low effort, and the crowd are deliberately told to shut up so you can watch it with the volume on and don't get a headache. It's um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great little Sunday afternoon sport. That love it. A, a mate of mine went to the Crucible when the fans were allowed back in, and it happened that he just had a ticket for the last session of the final, and he watched one frame, but Fucking just hell. needed one frame to win. Paid a hundred odd quid for that. Yeah, you would be raging, wouldn't you? Be a Ronnie. Yeah, I, 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 I love the Crucible. It's on my bucket list to do. It's one of the things I want to do. Yeah, yeah we are. Watch the, watch the snooker in, in Sheffield. It'd be amazing. You know, I've, I've done a few things on my. You know, I've been to the uh, the lakeside and watched the darts. Um, you know, I've been to Twickenham, I've been to Wembley, I've been to a few things. You know, but Crucible is definitely on there. It's what I want to do. Yeah, I am. Um... We were looking at going to the the world final this year, and um, you know, Rona's another plan that Rona's killed. But um, yeah, as you say, but it's one of those. Uh, the The crowd are told to shut up. The crowd are told to be quiet. Same as tennis. There's no atmosphere there. You know, there is, well maybe there's an atmosphere between frames, etc. But I don't know. I, I, when we'll, we'll come on to darts in a minute, and the sort of the skills needed in snooker and darts, the sort of the hand eye coordination and the the sort of digital um, ability, etc. It's, it's pretty similar, and yet the darts fans are going are going crazy in the background. So I, I, I found. Well, let's let's do it, Andy. What's your what's your first clip? Let's let's introduce it now. Yeah, so my clip is um, you, you mentioned one of the greatest sports persons that this country's ever produced. In my opinion, this guy is the greatest sports person this country has ever produced. Um, how he hasn't had anything from the Queen in way of knighthood. MBE, CBE, OBE, whatever. Um, I mean, Phil the Power Taylor is he's an absolute machine. He is the epitome of machine. And you talk about um, practicing and that. Darts, I think it's different to snooker and that darts is muscle memory. Um, Phil Taylor actually epitomizes that because I remember watching a thing where he was blindfolded and he's still at a 180. 
which emphasises it's not his eye, it's actually his, his, his arm is just in complete um, sync to just throw the same dart every single time. And this particular clip is a clip where he actually hits two nine-dart finishes in one game. He almost hit three um, against poor old James Wade. I mean, I mean the, the, the bloke, I mean, to hit one nine-dart finish in a game is pretty phenomenal. To hit two is just beyond all realms of believability. Yeah, if you said to somebody, you know, oh, yeah, I'll get to hit two nine dollars, and you wouldn't believe it. Um, the, to Phil Taylor is, was he, 12 time world champion? I mean, when have we ever in this country had a 12 time world champion or 30, 14 time world champion, whatever it is? And yet, he doesn't really get any sort of plaudits at all, really. I mean, the, the, the bloke is an absolute genius. I think the New York Yankees have won the World Series in baseball loads of times, even though America is the only team country that produces any teams. Yeah, yeah. Any team that's won a World Series more than once has, has done it. It's done a similar, you know, similar feat. But I think for um for Phil Taylor, the reason I sort of dovetailed it with the the snooker clip beforehand was I think it, it makes a little bit of a mockery of the conditions that snooker's played in the darts. Because I think Ronnie O'Sullivan's doing a one four seven, you know, in front of a, a shush, shush crowd. No one's allowed to make any noise. Phil Taylor is pulling off, you know, some of the hardest shots, some of the hardest individual things to do in in sport, in front of sort of ten piss lads from Durham, dresses Hitler, singing. Da, 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 he's doing that in front of them. It, it, it is, but I'm going to caveat that and say I watched that cricket, that, that fucking cricket again. I watched that darts clip. And I'm the commentator's going absolutely mental. The crowd's going absolutely mental. The commentary is saying something like, "You're watching sporting majesty. You're watching televisual and sporting history. This is arguably the greatest sporting moment of sporting history." Dot dot dot. Certainly in darts, he had to caveat that because he knows darts is is not anything like the the top sport in the world or, or top sporting achievements to achieve anything in darts because the pool of players are so bad. But I was watching it thinking. No reaction whatsoever. It instilled absolutely no joy, absolutely no in, pure indifference. Darts. I, I cannot. I, ca- I cannot see the fuss of it at all. Playing it, watching it. I, I don't understand it at all. It's the worst of the club sports. I'm glad you agree with that because I. 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 I'd, I'd be. I watch that. What's that? Sh- penny, whatever it is, when you slide a two penny down a table. Shall yeah. Good game, Way better than darts. I'd watch that a million times. I, I can't. I don't understand the fuss with darts. And you're a massive darts lover, Andy. So, so what is it? What is it about the sport? The darts. It's. I think that what I like about darts is the fact that you can walk into a pub and you can play it. And you, you can do that with Candy Crush, near, mate. You're nowhere near the level that, 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 that they are. You know, we can all go and play football. I can smash one in from 30 yards or I can put the ball in and suddenly I, I look like David Beckham for 10 seconds. In your head. There's no way... There's you wake up no with dribble on the pillow. <laughs> there's no way in a million years that I can just walk into a pub and rattle off a nine-dart finish. There's no way you can walk into a in, into the into the Columbia Club, get on the snooker table and rattle off a one four seven. But why is darts... Why do, why do so many people watch it? I, I don't understand it. Just like throwing a shower object at a board. It is. I mean, you can reduce any sport down to down to stuff like that. You know, jumping in a sandpit and you know, rugby's someone putting <laughs> something down. You can reduce it. You can you know distill it as much as you want. But even without distilling it, you're, you're watching something that is so complicated and is so, and it takes thousands of hours of practice, like snooker does. But it's it's so boring. You take the crowd out. If if there was no crowd there, nobody would watch darts. No, I agree with that. Uh, 
I disagree. I mean, I watched it last night. I watched the, I watched the Grand Prix. And, um, they're you know, a car racing, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. They're, they're running around. They're, they're throwing darts whilst in a Formula One car. Now really that <laughs> I would watch. <laughs> that, would be good. that would be a good watch. That's how you improve. Yeah, if, yeah. If, if, is it Eddie Hearn or Bob Hearn's listening? What's his name? Eddie Hearn. Yeah, what's his dad called? Barry Hearn. Barry Hearn. Barry Hearn. I knew it was a B. If, Bob Hearn. if Barry Hearn's listening, get him in. Get him in. You know, Ferraris and Mercedes, and getting them driving past at you know two hundred and thirty kilometers an hour, and then fucking get them to hit a bullseye. That's a sport I want to watch. <laughs> Doing it from eight feet away, whatever it is. There's no crowd there at the moment, and yet it was still exciting because. You know, it was the, the Grand Prix are double in to start and double into and double out. You know, actually, so that is quite a good tournament. I will, I will defend monks on that. That's because you do get some shots in it, don't you? Because you've got to get double to start. Yeah, you know, but, and Gary Anderson last night lost. You know, and um, yeah, lost to some Dutchman I've never even heard of, to be fair, um, in the quarterfinals. And don't worry, you're not alone. This, this Dutch guy, this Dutch guy was was, was phenomenal. He was back in in one eighties, you know, one one forties, one eighties all over the shop, you know, and. Gary Anderson couldn't get anywhere near him. I, yeah, it, it literally none of that fills me with any excitement whatsoever. None of that. I'll go away and watch that. Couldn't couldn't care less about about anything to do with that. And there'll be people listening to this who love darts and thinking, oh, he sounds like a, an absolute bell end for for you know well, thing. Brilliant. brilliant. But I like the um the the commentary was uh, something like oh, this is the greatest. This is is God rest his soul. Probably the best sports commentator ever. Oh, well, if he's commentating on darts, then he isn't. But um, they were saying like, this is the greatest moment of sport in history, certainly in darts. That caveat there is 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 remarkable, isn't it? It's like saying, "Oh, you're yeah, you're the best looking woman on the oncology ward." Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's not a prize worth winning, is it? I reckon the greatest line in darts, certainly, possibly in sport. I mean, Ron Pickering probably got some some, some some classics he could put in them going back to the Olympics when he turned around about Gabby Selassie opening his legs and showing his class. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so that's darts shut on. We're shitting on a lot of sports here. We're um, well, we I'm shitting on you know I've shat on the Olympics, I've shat on snooker no, a little bit, and darts I, again. Darts for me, it's just oh, it's terrible. Is... I'm going to take you down to Minor, down to Butlins. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a weekend, we'll have a weekend with, during the, the, um, the, the Players' Championships. Brilliant. Nothing about yeah, that, that fills me with joy. Competition as well. <coughs> What'd you say? In the, in the competition that's held at Butlins, the second class competition, the PDC, whatever it is. No, 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 it's PD, yeah, PDC stuff. It's, it's basically the Players' Championship down in Butlins. It's the top 16 players in the world, basically, just play. Over a weekend, and you you, can, you you just go down there, and you can basically you watch every single session. It's amazing. I went down there. Like, does like Michael Van Gerwen go and get on the stage with the Redcoats and all that? Is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was. This is chalet outside. A few years ago, so actually, it's a very funny story. I'll tell you the story. My mate, we um, we, so he said, oh, "It's my fiftieth." So I want to go on the teacups. So. He said, "He said, he said, he said, we're going to go down the buttons and watch watch the diets." So I went down, and Michael Van Gerwen actually won the um, won the event. He beat Gary Anderson in the final. And we had a hell of a, hell of a weekend down there, watching the dark, loads of beer, etc., etc. And then we got back to in, in, into the pub in Bristol, and my mate's old man was in the pub, and he said, um, Tim, he said, you know you went down to the, um, to, to the dark to your 50th birthday? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I said, well, I found your passport when he was away. You're not 50, you're 49. <laughs> <laughs> 
So he went away for his mate's 50th, and he went actually 50. He was only, he was only 49. Did <laughs> you forget how old you are? Did, did, did that happen? <laughs> did it? Yeah, that's that's the bit I'm skeptical about. I, I don't know many fathers who are still in contact with their sons that would forget how old they are, and certainly the fiftieth, <laughs> and certainly wouldn't need to would need to find their passport by accident to discover how old their son is. I'm but I'm do you know, dubious. Do you, know, do you know what makes it even more bizarre is that you know what year he was born? Nineteen fifty. 1966. Right. Well, so it's, not even like, it's not even like an, you know, an unremarkable year, is it? You know, he's a massive yeah, football fan. My, my dad's born in 1966. But, uh, has he ever required his dad to remind him how old he is? No, no. I don't think so. We did celebrate his 40th and his 50th, but I'm pretty sure we did it on the right year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, wasn't, he, wasn't a, he wasn't a toddler when you celebrated his 50th birthday, was he? Uh, monks has got me thinking now. <laughs> well, how old you are? celebrated his 50th in He's like, it's like the guy, but it's not your forty. It's not your forty nine. You're fifty next year, and he's like, nah, they won't remember. <laughs> they they won't remember. Well, he, he actually had, we actually had a whole week on the beer celebrating his fiftieth, and then realised he was only forty nine. Was... Because you got plans to do some of the next year, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. It was brilliant. We ran, did we did it all again the following year? I'm gonna call bullshit on that and say that definitely didn't happen. <laughs> I'm going to say you had so many and beers can, that you made that story up that can, weekend. And you can ask him next time you see him. I, I, I certainly will. Send it to him. Get him, Tim, get him to have, listen to it. Did you have your 50th birthday when you were 49? Link him into the podcast and he can listen to it. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have a Tim yeah. confirmation. I, do you want me to ring him? I'll ring him now and you can have confirmation. We can have a live Tim confirmation. Yeah, go on. A live Tim confirmation. confirmation. Get him on the line. Hang on. I mean, this is assuming he's up at one o'clock. Hang on, yeah. hang on. Punks is getting excuses in earlier. Yeah. Him. <laughs> He's just going to Queen Victoria's funeral. <laughs> hang on, bring him. Lol. Timothy. Uh, Hi, mate. How are we doing? Alright, not too bad. Um, can we have confirmation, please, not for you, that we celebrated your 50th birthday when you were actually only 49? No way. <laughs> Ask him why. Ask him why it happened. We promised there was no free planning over there. Yeah, there we go, you see? All, all true. There you go, mate. There we go, confirmation. And they're all going out now on Lisa Beck's birthday. Fucking hell. That is mental. I still want to know why that happened. I reckon he just, I yeah, I'm still sceptical, but we've had we've had live confirmation. Yeah, there we go. And it's Lisa Beck's happy birthday to Lisa Beck, Rovers legend. There's absolutely no chance he's listening. 
No, he's, no, he's down Turtle Bay with Tim. Yeah, not now, That's you where they were. pleb. <laughs> Do you understand how podcasts work? <laughs> she doesn't go live. Like, like a Turtle Bay where Lee the Bear, Lee the Bear is having his birthday. This is a professional podcast, mate. We pre-record, we edit, and we cut everything out that's shit. Well, most of it. Yeah, which is why it's only an intro. Yeah, that's why this week's edition is three minutes long. <laughs> it's just the word professional over and over again. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, what's the next clip? Get on with it. Get on with it, Smith. Get on with it? You sound like you had enough, mate. I sound like you're sick of this. Too fair, we are, we are bang in trouble if one of the content creators bored of it. <laughs> What are the listeners thinking? If we're bored. <laughs> we, we had such good listener numbers week one. It's just going to be me. We're just making sure it's live on Spotify next week, isn't it? <laughs> I, I reckon, genuinely, I reckon at least 50% of Monks' contributions there are going to have to be added. <laughs> oh, we, 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 we just have to like let him just have like a final thought at the end, just so, just so he gets his minutes in. Uh, so next, Ollie, uh, we're going with your second clip. What have you What have you brought with you today? So my second clip that I have brought to Totem Bar was Anthony Knockart missing a penalty at one end for Leicester City, which would have sent them to Wembley in to take them to the Championship playoff final. The, it's saved. The ball goes over the top. Deeney scores, sends Watford to Wembley, running around with his shirt off. Cried on the pitch, absolute limbs out. Yes, <laughs> I think you failed to mention this was the last minute as well. Oh yeah, did I not say qualify with the fact it was the last minute? Yeah. No, which that's I... why it was because if the knockout penalty goes in, it's job done. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? But Can you imagine I'm being there? I'm not actually sure they restarted the game after the Watford goal. I think it was like when Rovers got promoted at Blackpool. I think it was um, you know the, the pitch invasion happened and the ref just fucked it off. Yeah, I, I think, think that happened. That would have been wise, wouldn't it? Yeah, the the linesman's always like the quickest in the game. Like Jean Franco Zola about the person to tears, which is quite funny. You're not a big fan of John Franco Zola. Oh, I'm a big fan <laughs> of Franco Zola, but any any grown man being reduced to tears at football, I I, I think it's fantastic. You know, I, I love it when they, when teams get relegated and they and they look at the crowd and they're like, and it's got the crowd crying. I think it's brilliant. There's nothing better than a child crying at a bad football result. <laughs> There is no, there is no better scenes than a kid, usually with a face paint on. That's how he's got on the telly, and he's crying. And his face paint smudged down his face, and you think, "Yeah, welcome to the sports, son. Get used to it." Yep. <laughs> well, adults, adults crying as well is 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 a great thing to behold. You know, it just shows for me the passion that football has. You don't see a bloke crying at rugby, do you? Or a bloke crying at the snooker? Yeah, man, that is. Can you imagine being there? I mean, you don't really have to imagine it, do you, with Lee Brown for Rovers? I, I remember where I was that day. So I was 17, and it was the first, like, proper, like, house party I'd gone to. Yeah. And I got, I was ridiculously hungover. I'd been sick and stuff. I was really hungover. And I'm sat there, and I, it was one of those, I didn't even watch the whole game, so I was, like, sleeping. But I just remember waking up to that clip and remembering it. You didn't happen to send uh, any sort of brisky tweets out when you were when you were pissed that night, did you, mate? Or is that, um, is, that, is that a newfound habit? 
No, that's most definitely not me. Don't stick to that. <laughs> but we shall move on. We shall move on. But like the similar thing that happened to us at Rovers was obviously Lee Brown, wasn't it? Like, were you yeah. both were you both there for that? Yeah. No. You weren't no, there. I was actually. Um, I say where I was with Lee Brown was. I was in Asda. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I couldn't really bear the thought of going there. I was just so nervous. Um, and I was walking around Asda with my phone. Um, and then I actually had Sky Sports on. I had you know, Jeff Stelling and all that on my phone. And it said he said those immortal words. There's been a goal at the Memorial Stadium. Dickie Davis! I knew we'd scored because before you actually got the picture of um, Dickie Davis, you could hear the crowd. The big screen announcer, was it? No, no, but I had the earphones in. And before he actually went over to Dickie Davis, you could hear the crowd roaring. So I knew we had scored because the. You know, pretty much jumping on a random stranger and hugging them is, is pretty much exactly how I celebrated that goal going in as well. Yeah. I somehow ended up going underneath two crash barriers that you've got of the men. Went underneath two of them, ended up pretty much. You know, I stand right at the back of the Thatcher's terrace, and I went under two of them to um to 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 end up right at the basically right at the front of the of of the thing. I got I've got no idea how I got there. I don't know who the hell I was holding on to or who who was holding on to me. It was. I, Football, a goal in football like that scored it with such importance. It, 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 people celebrate it like like no other thing gets celebrated, or no other thing even gets reacted to. But I don't know any other. There's nothing in my life that would make me nothing else in my life that would make me jump on a random person, surf their back for like ten meters, like fighting off or bringing other people on to me, you know, and and just literally just diving into like this massive hug. Essentially, this this, this eleven thousand person hug. Like nothing in my nothing else would make me do that except for that moment yeah, was, at Lee Brown. I was on the Uplands Terrace right. and there was a pile on in the gangway. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it was incredible. Was that the day you ran on the pitch? Was that that one? Uh, I was on the pitch, yeah. Yeah, that, not that, at the end, but during the game. Didn't you go up and call no, someone a, a no, wank? Or Jermaine Easter called that, you a wank or something? That was Fleetwood at home. <laughs> Talk us through that. Uh, it was just before Christmas, about I reckon 2018, and. Um, it was it was Coffin's first home game, I want to say. Right. Maybe it was. No, I think it was his first home game. We were one 0 down. Chad Evans got sent off for Fleetwood. I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he gave he gave so many credit to Spanish archery, didn't he? Yeah, and then Ravers got one back, and I was stood on the upper terrace, and Limesy whipped the ball into the back stick, and James Clark came in at the back post and sort of scuffed it in the corner for memory. And I was kind of pushed onto the pitch. The barrier opened up, and I'm running down the touchline. Ollie Clark was like hoisted me up to the uplands terrace, like I was like Simba or something. And <laughs> Stephen Payne's reaction. I got as far as the Ravers dugout, and Stephen Payne told me to uh, to do one, and that about something up really.
my second clip today is the um, the, the footage of Kelly Holmes' first gold medal in the Athens 2004 um, Olympics. And it's the 800-meter uh, race that she runs in, and she wins that. Three-legged? Now, eh? Three-legged? Yeah, it wasn't three-legged, which probably would make it a little bit more entertaining going forwards. But what I thought was really good about this sport, this clip in particular was she she was eighth coming into the final bend. So she had less than 200 metres to go, and she was in eighth of 10. Like she was miles and miles and miles behind the lead. And then it's almost like she's like, yeah, you've had your fun now. I'll see you in the bar afterwards. And she just fucks past everyone. Like it's it's mental how like her 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 like stride length and her speed really really increases in the last two hundred meters. Like the strategy for that race was absolutely perfect. Obviously she won it, um, but the the way that she was in, you know, second well third last, and she she comes to win that race in you know less than less than a few seconds away from the um from the line. I thought it was um I thought it was amazing. To think I got slandered for bringing a long jump clip. Yeah, but this is this is athletic. Like, this is running. This is, <laughs> this, is this is people running around in a circle, Ollie. Yeah. Come on, this is much more exciting. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. I'm definitely wrong on this one. <laughs> but I mean, re- people re- jumping re- into a sandpit, people running around in a circle. I mean, come on. The reason I chose this really was was for for a little bit of what, not necessarily on on Kelly Holmes and, and and the Olympic race. To be to be honest, I chose it because not one per- not one person refers to that as women's athletics. Or, or a women, you know, it is the women's race, it's the women's 800 meters, but nobody refers to it as, as you've got athletics and women's athletics. You've got the men and the women in it. And they're, they're both seen as credible individual sports on their own, on their own merit. You also, you, you know, you get that in, in tennis, you know, it's not women's tennis, it's, it's tennis played by women. Football. You know I've always thought that. Why is it always referred to as women's football? It really, really pisses me off. It, it, one of the yeah. things, it really, really pisses me off that, that women's football doesn't get the respect and the credit that it, it, it deserves. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it, it's like, even the teams, you've got Liverpool Women's FC. Well, yeah. Why do you need to leave the women's bit in there? Why? why, why if you say, in, no, in no other sport is it referred to as women's golf. It's just golf. Yeah. But the, without just on a purely practical level, they've got the same name, so they do need some... What we're saying is really that Liverpool should be Liverpool men's FC. Yeah, well, yeah, we don't call it Liverpool men's FC, do we? No, yeah. well, no, that's true. But I'm it's just li- saying there is there was a need to distinguish, isn't there? Because like, if you're playing golf, you haven't got the same thing. Context is important. You, you wouldn't yeah, talk true. about if you're talking about women's football and you mention Liverpool, you assume you're talking about a Liverpool women's team. It's always like, oh, and they want equal pay, or ah, oh, you know, women's football is a rubbish sport, and it's just it's not like it, if you compare it to the men's, then. Then you, a you're making a ridiculous comparison that, that no, no other sport gets that comparison. Like no other sport gets the men and women's comparison. You know the the women's sport that I do really like is women's cricket because in when women's cricket's played, all the shots are proper shots. In men's t twenty in particular, there's a lot of like I call them tennis shots, just sort of hanging back and just hacking at it, and they've yeah. got the pat with the power to just clear the boundary. Whereas the women's shots, they're all like traditional orthodox cricket shots. Yeah. But it, it doesn't get compared to men's cricket. So, oh, you know, right off, because, you know, Kelly Holmes, her, her two gold medals aren't tarnished because she beat eight or nine other women. You no, know, it, it, no one says, well, well, she wouldn't have done that against the men, because it's not a valid comparison. And, compa- and comparing women's football to, to men's football is, is also not a valid comparison for loads of reasons, not least that women's football was banned for 75 years in the UK. You know, it was the biggest sport in, in the country, you know, pre pre World War One and during World War One, it was the biggest sport. People went to watch women's football because all the men were, were were out fighting. You know, and women's football was seen as a threat to the game because of the quality of it. 
So I, I and obviously handily a clip went viral this week, didn't it? Of the Corinthians women team scoring that absolutely the ridiculous. Hell of a goal. What a goal that was! Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, wasn't it? And so if I ever see these fucking tweets again online saying, oh, and they want equal pay, of course international women want, you know, the same pay as, as the men do. Of course they do. Yeah, but that's not going to happen, is it? Let's be, let's be realistic about but it. They should. And that's, and There's that, no reason for it not to happen. Well, it is, because they don't, they don't bring in as much money. But it's as... not. But the men don't get a cut of, yeah. of TV revenues. It's the, it's the Football Association that pays them. Well, they do yeah, uh, don't directly, don't they? Maybe not in international football, but in... Club football, like the Premier, that's yeah. why the Premier League players are played more. Well, they more are better. There's also players, more money it? involved in the in in that league, isn't there? Whereas there isn't. That's, you know, that's not. That's you're not, not going. You don't see you don't see people walking down the street with a, a, a you know a woman's name on the back of their shirt for whatever reason. You've completely missed my point. I'm not talking about club football with women. I'm not saying that the women's club game should should. You know, you know, should they should have the same weekly pay as the men's? Because you're right, the market dictates what they get paid. International football, they are playing the same sport. They're representing the same nation. They are not being paid by um, advertisers. The people who pay international footballers are do they get the same association? But it's irrelevant. It's that if you listen, the people who pay international footballers are the associations. So you've got the exact same sport, the exact same representation. You, they're, they're, they're represent, it's the same conditions that they're, they're playing in. They should but, be. They should be. Do they get 80,000 watching, watching England women against, um, I don't know, France? Would they get 80,000? Would they sell Wembley out? Probably not. I'm, I'm pretty sure in saying that in, the England players donate their money, their international fees to charity. Do the women Correct. do the same? Why would they? Well, they don't, they no. No, they don't. Because so. you, you want equality. No, it's not about... No, it, well, that's, that's, uh, that's ridiculous. They're not paid the same as the England footballers. The England footballers... England footballers don't get paid. The England footballers don't get paid. Ollie's right. They, they do get paid. Get, they donate their, they donate their wages yeah. to charity. Yeah, but no. England footballers do get paid by... They get paid a salary. They donate that salary to charity for the men's. The it's women's appearance fee. Oh, my salary. God. They don't get... The women don't donate it because they don't receive the same payment at club level. So they don't. It's not. It's not the same comparison. It's not. A, it's not a valid comparison because you've got men earning, you know, between five and fifty million pound a year playing football. You've got women earning seventy-five grand a year. But there's absolutely no way you would donate but your salary to do that. If you have a look at the sports where women's sport is probably getting the same sort of uh, level publicity as in as in watches. So golf, for example, the prize money in the women's golf is as high as it is in the men's game. Tennis, they're now getting paid the same because they got the same crowd watching. You know, you, you go to Wimbledon, whether you're watching the women's final or the men's final, it'll be sold out. But Wembley not, isn't Wembley isn't sold out when England play. Well, it, it is. They sold out their last game at Wembley when they played. They, like, don't, they, they don't sell out play. all their games in the same. But that's not, the, that's not the point. It's, it's the fact that they're they're representing exactly the same country in exactly the same sport in exactly the same conditions. There's no different rules. There's no. It's, it's the same thing. For international sports, they, they should be paid exactly the same as what the men are being paid. They're doing I the do same agree. job. Probably I do agree for international. But for international sports, and certainly in internationals where the women are more successful in their, in, in their, in their sort of field than the men are, the women should definitely, you know, the US national team, the only, the, the women's national team has won the World Cup at a canter for the last three tournaments. They've been, they've been one or two in the side of the world for the last 25 years. There's absolutely no reason that the men's team, who, who can't get out of a group with fucking Trinidad Tobago in their in their group and can't qualify for a World Cup when they when they've got to play Trinidad and Tobago twice when the US have won it every year 
there's no reason why they shouldn't be being, being paid twice. See also Brazil. See also England. In, you know, England got to the semi-final of the World Cup in the men's. They also got to the semi-final of the World Cup in the women's. They've also... Um, the women have got to the final of the Euros. The men's have never qualified for the finals of the Euros. They, they should definitely be at international level. I, I'm sorry. I don't, so I don't see any argument whatsoever that women shouldn't be getting paid the same in football. And it shouldn't also be called women's football. It should just be called football. It shouldn't be called women's football. I just totally agree with that. That's why I picked Kelly Holmes. Because it, underli- it, it completely underlines the point that it's not women's athletics and it's not any less credible because she played against other or, or you know, ran against other women. Same, you know, women's football should be given that, that respect that it deserves. That being said, I've only ever been to watch two women's football games live. Have you, have you ever been? Nope. Watch professional well, women's. Well, my sister used to play junior um, girls football, so I, what, yeah, if that counts. But like professional stuff? Uh, no, uh, I don't think so. so have, have any of you been along to watch the Gas Girls? No, I haven't gone to watch Gas Girls, but get, that is actually park football, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is, to be fair. But... It is at the moment. It is literally, yeah, it's, it's, it's glorified park stuff at the minute. But they've got to start somewhere, haven't they? Yeah, no, if you've they, got to go in at whatever level, haven't you? If they were in the professional leagues. I, I did I did go and watch the um the 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 girls' team that when Rovers owned them and that are now Bristol Sports. The Bristol Academy, whatever they were called. Yeah. I, went, I, did, I did watch them. I watched them a lot, even when City took them over, because obviously I went to Filton College, so they, they played there. So I, I'd spend my Saturdays down there watching them. But I've watched um, I watched the Olympic final, more Olympics, a lot of Olympics out today. I watched the Olympic final between in Brazil and Japan at the Millennium Stadium um, in 2012. That was I watched that there, and I've watched a couple of Rovers games, and I've watched um, Arsenal Spurs live as well. Um, you know their women's team play. So yeah, that's yeah. why I chose Kelly Holmes, and you know credit to her. She's probably the first sport and role model, female sport and role model of of my sister's life. So I would have been. Nine. She would have been eight when so that not, happened. Not, not your role model, then your sister's role model. But my sister wouldn't have had a, a female role model. She, you know, Kelly Holmes broke down those barriers to entry for the media. She, she you know, what she was Paula Radcliffe. Yeah, I was, one of my notes as well. Kelly Holmes and Paula Radcliffe, at, probably at the same time, were pr- probably the two female sport, like female athletes that were probably the most famous, certainly in the UK. And then Kelly Smith, she was a, a superstar as well, wasn't she? And then later on, now, now there's hundreds of them, but. But in the early at the start of this century, I can't think of anyone else. I mean, you had um, who was the Zola Bud when I was a when I was a kid. She was the the the, the woman superstar, if you like. Yeah, Denise Lewis was another one, and then you had um Jane Torville, another one. But the fact you can just reel them off, whereas now there's there's hundreds of them. You know, there are hundreds of media, you know, women with media profiles, and 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 you know, there are genuine role models for for young girls watching sport that look like them. You know, it's not they don't have to look at David Beckham. Think I'm never going to be that. They can look at, you know, Millie Bright or um, who's the Chelsea lady. She's amazing as well. Frank Kirby. And they look like them and they play like them. And I think that's, um, you know, Kelly Holmes winning that Olympic gold. A complete shock. Um, you know, catapulting women, women's athletes. And you know, I think she was one of like three gold medal winners in that, in that Olympics, which probably did for, for the UK, which probably did, um, or Great Britain, sorry, which probably did women's sport in general a massive service because she was she had to be a face in public. Whereas, you know, we speak about Greg Rutherford earlier, we had so many gold medal winners and Greg Rutherford, he was a part of Super Saturday. No one's going to know who he is in 20 years' time. Like, not one person. I've met quite a few girls who look like Greg Rutherford. <laughs> so that was my, that was my Kelly Holmes clip. And then Andy, the final YouTube clip of, of today's episode, what have you, uh, what have you brought? Well, I, I thought, again, I would go for one of the greatest sports going. You know, we've had snooker, we've had darts. 
you know, when it comes to excitement, you, you can't really get much better than a nice game of crown bowls, you know, or carpet bowls. Um, and possibly the greatest piece of skill you're ever likely to see. Um, the bloke calls it, it's, it's, it's pairs bowls and his partner calls it, says, you know, just slide the ball up, you know, in, inside this sort of three inch gap and just finish on the jack. And his mate went, not a problem, mate. Leave it to me on its way. And, um, there we have it. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite phenomenal, really, to be honest, to be able to do that. Yeah, it's insane. You've had much of a bowls career, Moxie? Uh, I, I've had a game or two with my old man on, on um, on holiday. We used to have, when we used to go on a holiday on a Timmouth or Weymouth or whatever, we'd have a, we'd have a game of crown bowls. It's, it's harder than it looks. You watch it on yeah, the yeah. telly. I think, I think like all the, all the, all the great sports, you know, you said, talk about Phil Taylor and Ronnie O'Sullivan making it look easy. I mean, they make it look easy on this, you know, David Bryant with his pipe. I remember when I was a kid growing up, you know, your Cleveland boy. And he just, just throw it down and you think, oh, that's, that's, that's easy. Just chuck this ball down and, and land it next to the white, the, the little white ball. Lovely. No, no, it's bloody difficult, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I played it a lot as a, as a kid with my, my granddad was a massive into bowls. And we used to, we used to play patonk, which is similar in, um, when we used to go to France in the summers. But, um, yeah, if you think fucking bowls is difficult, uh, on the lawn, try playing on fucking gravel. <laughs> play in France, it's fucking impossible. <laughs> Yeah, I think that as a as an individual moment, it went viral, didn't it? At the start of this year, that 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 clip, it was like February yeah. 2020, and um, I still think probably the best sporting moment of 2020. Well, that's bowls covered. They right, get, let's move on. That, <laughs> yeah, I reckon I, I reckon only gonna be a bit of a bowls player. I reckon on the quiet. Yeah, it's yeah. a flat, it's flat cap, you know. Did play with my. Playing my granddad on holiday a couple of times. My gra- I think my granddad was quite good at it, fair. But not the most interesting sport. It's something you've got to play in later life, and I think, which you can't play yeah. football or anything else anymore. Definitely. Yeah, it just gets that competitiveness still going, doesn't yeah. it? When, you, when you're older, as you say, you can't run around. You haven't got to run around. You haven't got to be smashing people up in the air or anything. You know, you well, just that go is, that is a bit of... <laughs> just going too... <laughs> Two, two foot the ball. Really. <laughs> <laughs> the you, ball's you... really hard. Eh? But the ball's really hard. What yeah, fucking it? solid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, but I, I can remember playing, I remember playing the with my old man and then my sister playing and she was only little and she used to get the ball and the dot on the wrong side and we'd be playing and she'd be chucking this ball down and it'd be gone on somebody else's game. <laughs> the ball would be flying off in all directions and she, she used to go, oh, it's not fair. It's not not going the way I want it to go. And it's like, well, you've got to hold it the right way, then, Jane. You know, you fucking idiot. <laughs> so just an insight into Andy's formative years there. See, it's easy to yeah. see why he's 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 so he's, he's as he is now. Speaking to a sister, <laughs> fucking hold it properly, fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah, a little. She had that three goes and she storm off crying. It's not going well. I want it to go. Oh, go away, Jane. <laughs> and she's probably listening to this now. Hi, Jane. She, 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 she listened to the first one. Did she? What, what were her yeah, thoughts? She, yeah. she likes it. Yeah. She's even signed my old man up to Spotify, so he can listen every week now and then. Oh yeah, I, I've noticed you range of swearing in a little bit this week. Right, shall we move on now, chaps, to the cricket documentary that uh, Ollie? Subject us, sorry, asked us to watch this week. 
why don't you introduce the audience and tell us what it's about? Were you not a big fan of it, Luke? Before I... go, go on, your little soliloquy, mate. Introduce he's, to a, the... he's a heathen. Bye. Ignore him. He's a heathen. So the I was in charge this week of providing the boys with a documentary to watch, and it's basically <clears throat> two cricketing journalists set out on a mission over a number of years to assess uh, test cricket, the health of test cricket. But like in doing so they uncover things that they maybe weren't expecting to um to uncover and there's allegations of corruption around the IPL um and like a conspiracy out of like self interest with the administrators of the game. They they follow the um chairman of the ECB, Giles Clark, who comes across as at best a bit arrogant and at worst just completely best. corrupt. <laughs> Um, and cockwomble is the word I would use. Well, yeah, that is one way of putting it. And then there's allegations around corruption and with the IPL franchises and things like that. I thought it was quite interesting. But then, and it was like, it linked the corruption that's going on with the ICC and the IPL back to the health of Test cricket and it was kind of a bit cyclical, I suppose. So yeah, I, mm. that's the broad, um, synopsis of what happened and what the, documentary was about. Bearing in mind I gave Luke absolute pelters last week for his documentary on a baseball team. I'm expecting some negative feedback. Let me tell you, as I was watching this, the knives were being sharpened. I understand it's about test cricket. Did it have to feel like you're watching a test cricket match? It was the most slow-paced, boring documentary I've ever seen. Really? Right? And what they uncovered was, what they uncovered was that the nephew of the head of the IPL was involved in match fixing. So not the head of the IPL, someone connected to him. You know, there was no evidence whatsoever wrongdoing this that the, the guy from the IPL did. So that's what they uncovered. Nothing. Then they uncovered that the Indian the people with the most you know, the second most populous country in the world, the biggest cricket watching country in the world, magically has the biggest cricket market in the world. It, I mean that is a proper revelation that. that the you know and what they've also managed to discover is that T20 cricket is faster and more entertaining because to, to the layperson who likes cricket, because it, it's over. Firstly, it's over in about three hours. Secondly, the shots are massive and they're bigger. The scores are pretty similar. So it's a faster, more entertaining product. But what they, what they failed to differentiate was IPL isn't supposed to be a sporting product. It's, an, it's a sports entertainment product. Yeah. It's, a, it's fucking brilliant. And what they uncovered was that people weirdly, don't want to watch a five-day test match. They want to watch something that ends in the day. They can watch it on a Sunday night. They can watch it on a Saturday afternoon in the pub. They know the outcome of it. And that is appealing to to to, to, to a market. And then it's a gateway drug to, to test cricket. You know, those test cricket fans have got another route into cricket. I, I completely disagree with the premise of it, to be honest with you. I think the, the, the people who... I don't think the Indians look that bad at all. I think, to start with, it was ran as a little bit of a shambles. And that's why that's why it became quite so guarded and quite so almost like a demography, like it, it all went up to, to one guy at the top. But I think speaking of going up to one guy at the top, the ECB getting a million quid match from the guy at the top of a Ponzi scheme. How bad did that look? Yeah, How... that was that was really, um, that was a big thing at the time, wasn't it? Do you know that that man will never see the light of day again? Is he, what, is he in prison until he dies? Yeah, he's got, because um, I, I was reading about him, at, uh, Stanford his name was, he's serving like, He's, I think he was sentenced when he was 70 or something, and he got sentenced to 73 years. So, he's, unless he goes to, he's 140. 
Ian coming out. He's actually. I can, I can remember that that Stanford cricket. I can yeah, remember I that when it came I out. Um, and it was billed as this, you know, going to revolutionise and transform cricket and all that. And the, la- the last really, thing was, it, really it, was million, it was a million pounds basically for, and it was all like the winner takes all the money. So yeah. England agreed to play out and England lost. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the world, wasn't it? It was the rest of the world. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was England versus the rest of the world, and you had all these millionaire cricketers playing for England, and they and they and they lost. And yeah. But the money yeah. came from a guy who was at the top of a pyramid scheme in America. Like, yeah. that's, that's the funny thing about it. Like the, the ECB, and you're right, Giles Clark. I think, was it Giles Clark? Was that his yeah, name? Yeah. Yeah. He came across awfully. Like, you know, you, I was, you, yeah. Right. I was never a fan of Giles Clark anyway, and that just basically confirmed what I always thought: the bloke's a pompous idiot. Yeah. Yeah. What was it he but, said? It, he said at the end, like it said, "Oh, Giles Clark was the chairman of ECB," and then it flashed onto the next screen. Giles the president. Clark, the president. <laughs> Which, is he still involved with English cricket? Or not? I think he's stepped down now, hasn't he? I think he's uh, anything to do with it. But only quite recently. Yeah, like, because this documentary came out in 2013 or 14. 2014 it was, yeah. yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there was a, there was an interview on Sky Sports about a year or so ago with Giles Clark when he'd actually stood down from English cricket and they, they interviewed him around, you know, the success. I'm sure he was still president when we won the World Cup, you know. I think it's, 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 only in, it's only in the last sort of eight, ten months that he's actually, you know, retired, if you like. But the amazing controversy about this documentary was that <coughs> the three places on earth where cricket is most popular happen to be the three biggest um, cricketing boards. Shock. That's massive, isn't it? Secondly, the biggest cricketing boards in terms of revenue held most of the power. It, it, you know, this is a capitalist society we live in. It is remarkable how the richest country of the three of them, you know, in terms of cricket revenue and cricket turnover, it is, it is really mad how, you know, they, they, they tend to just assume power. Yeah, really, really shocking. Yeah, Luke, really the, the, only thing I, the thing I'd say is, it's like the, the ICC do come in for a lot of criticism, even um, after this documentary, because like the, the last cricket woke up in this country, there was only eight teams playing. Yeah, yeah. But that's not that's not acceptable. The admin, the admin side, I quite agree with the admin. The administration side of it was, yeah, you know, there was there was scandal, and that was it was quite interesting. You know, what? the fact that they funneled money away into the top three. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were talking earlier on about women's football and women's pay. The, they, the reason that the top, the top three get so much money is because they've got the biggest market share, they've got the biggest audience, so they're bringing in the most people, they get the most money. That shouldn't be at the expense of all the bottom teams developing. So the Chinese should have market access if Chinese are playing cricket. The, the, there were a few African nations as well. They sh- their their boards should be getting revenue. I I completely agree with that. But th- this this controversy, this you know India India being the biggest population that, that plays and watches cricket, therefore they get the most power. It, it's just obvious that it's just that's just what happens. I Why the controversy? Why? What do you mean? We don't do well, we don't. Cricket has got to be the only sport that I can think of which is being run by the three yeah. best. Teams. We have, FIFA isn't run by Brazil, Germany, and France. But FIFA, that's, you're, you're actually wrong there. FIFA is run. You know, the, the, the governing body of football is run by the home, the home nations: England, Scotland, Wales, and I think the Republic of Ireland. It might be Northern Ireland. The, their board does control the rules of football. Their board does control the revenue streams because it's their game. They invented it. They, they, they're enshrined. So football no, does. Everybody, everybody gets a vote. So there's the, every when they come and they decide a document of it, every FA 
has a vote and that vote is equal. In rugby, you haven't got England, Australia and New Zealand running rugby. Every country has an equal say. Every country, okay, the money might be split differently because television dictates that England are going to be on TV more than, say, Samoa. You know, and in, and in football, England are going to be on TV more than San Marino. So they're going to get more money in that regard. But the actual way that the sport is run, the actual running of the actual and the governance of the sport, every single person, every single country, every single FA um, or rugby board or whatever you, whatever you want to say, has an equal say. In cricket, basically India could turn around tomorrow and go, you know what, we're going to have a, uh, an, an Indian uh, a World Cup with only India, Australia and England in it. They really, and it would get voted through. Yeah, because and, what, and the way they'd get around that is they'd say to the West Indies, Pakistan, the other sort of, I don't know, second-tier countries that they would ref- they'd refuse to tour their country, which then... Yeah. So they've got... Bullying. They've, yeah, but it's what's bullying, exactly what it is. I don't think it is. You, 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 they are the custodians of the game because what the, the sports you just mentioned Why? there. Let me tell you, the the, the, the sports you just mentioned there, there isn't the disparity of population and of market size in rugby. It's all pretty similar market sizes of the countries that like it. Same with football. India is two hundred times, three hundred times bigger than the population of the UK. Their pool, their power is two hundred times the size. So if India does say. Um, actually, we're not going to tour Australia. Australian cricket dies. Uh, if India does say we're not going to tour in uh, New Zealand, New Zealand is exactly they, they shouldn't have that power, should they? Like, they should, they, correct. They, it's, it's market, it's, it's economics. It's not that they shouldn't have that power. They, they have that power because of, because of the money that's dictated to by the game. It's the like, market. But, but in, football, in football, for instance, FIFA put together the qualifiers. They don't go. Oh, I'm not sure we're gonna. I'm not sure we want to go there. And there's little things like they'll. They might say, because when India play England, Australia, they always play five test matches. They'll say to Pakistan, oh, we'll come over for one test match and one, tw- one, one 20 over game. That, that affects Pakistani, the, the fina- finances around that cricket board. Like West, in- West Indies need, they came over this summer in the middle of a, in the middle of a health pandemic. Because they were so short on money, and that, and the, the opportunity they were given has basically saved their cricket board financially. That that, that, that power should not be held within the ECB, for instance. And it, a more, more centralised system. What's, take, what's, what's this? What's oh, disgraceful? Yeah. As Ollie said as well, the West Indies came over and did a three-test series in the middle of a, uh, in a, a massive pandemic. And now the ECB are moaning and scribbling around and wobbling because the West Indies want England to go back next summer or next winter and play in the West Indies, a free, a free test series. And England are going, oh, well, we're not sure we want to go over to the West Indies and play. It's like, for God's sake, they basically risked their own health to come over and play in a, in a, you know, at a time when the British public wanted some live sport on the yeah. TV. You got massive viewing them as well. Yeah, and, and we're now moaning and quibbling about whether we're going to go back and play in the West Indies. That, that doesn't it's happen in any other sport. Well, I'm, not, well, I'm not letting the perfect be the enemy of good here. I'm not. I appreciate, as I said earlier on, the development of other countries and their cricket ability should come before the profit margins of the top three. I completely agree with that. 
But my my problem is, what's the solution when the disparity in the market? You have a billion people, and all of them are obsessed with cricket. You've got the UK, sixty five million, and less less than ten percent of people in the UK care about it. So that's a six and a half million pound market. That's a billion people. You can, it's not that. It's not that there shouldn't be. It's impossible because you can't legislate the level of power that India has because it has just well, because of the sheer numbers. It should be. It should be the ICC or whatever you want to call that body should be di- distance further from the individual boards in, in the same way that it is in football. Yeah, I agree. Well, what the they... problem is with cricket, not so actually. I think there was a stat in there that there's 80 countries that actually play cricket, but only 10 have Test playing status. That that should not. There should be some facilitation around getting Ireland playing Namibia in a test in test series because that is about. It's a bit. It's a bit like um, chicken and egg, isn't it? You're not going to build any market unless you put a product on. If you don't put the product on, there's nothing for Irish cricket fans to watch. It's been brilliant that the Irish the test matches they had, the, the four day test they had against England at Lords. They played um, New Zealand, I think it was, or Pakistan. In Mal in Malahide, that it was it was good. It was really good to see different teams playing cricket. The problem test cricket's got is that it's the same teams playing each other all the time. We but, play Australia oh, yeah. all the time. What is stopping England or Ireland playing Namibia? What 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 because about the Namibia EU? haven't got Test match status, so they're not allowed to play. That's part of the oh, point. Player. Why why aren't they allowed to play? Why can't they just chuck a five day game on as a friendly, as a friendly match? But it wouldn't. But therefore, it wouldn't be sanctioned. Because Ireland the, wouldn't be allowed to play them. Yeah. It's a bit like saying it's a bit like a boxing match has to be sanctioned. Right. Okay. It's a bit like that. You know, you can't just turn around. Namibia could go and play Canada, not a problem. But Ireland have now got Test status; they won't be allowed to go and play against a non-Test playing nation in a oh, Test match. That's, that's what, what is the problem with Namibia playing Canada? Nothing. That's what I'm saying. But that, that the ICC should be facilitating that 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 happening, and they don't. Their, their, their sole interest is with England, India, um, Australia. I understand why that why that happens, but that doesn't make it right, and it it needs to be weighted differently, doesn't it? I I think anyway. I, yeah, listen. I agree. Anything that's a, a barrier to growth, but I, I don't I don't see how you. I, I think you've always got a caveat that with. There's a billion people in India who are all obsessed with cricket. Their interests, because of the nature of the the economics of the game and the economics of of, of, of any wider economic market, they're always, always, always going to be the the dictators of it because they're, they've got so the largest market share by by two hundred times. So your theory, and let's just say football takes off in America massively, then America gets a, gets to, to uh, tell us how to do how to run the game because they've got more people. But they wouldn't tell you how to run the game because the way that the, the, the crickets, sorry, the way that football rules are enshrined, it's, it's, it's not that valid. But what you can do with America... No, no, is, exactly. So why the number of people that like the game is irrelevant to the good of the game. And Giles Clark, for me, summed up what a complete swatty is yeah. when he turned around and actually, actually said, of course I'm going to vote on something that's for the, the good of my board because I, that's what I'm there for. But he, he basically, the, he basically said... Right. I am I am on the ICC to basically get as much money for English cricket as I can. Yeah. It should that's be, not about that's corruption. Can I just ask you a question? What's the job of the Namibian the, the head of the Namibian board? What's what's his job? Well to generate as much but this is this this should be income for Namibia. This, this is for Namibia. 
And that's exactly where it's wrong. The heads of the board should be there for the good of the game, not the, and that comes second. Yes, when they're negotiating with Sky on television rights for the county championship or the t- or the 2020 or the test matches, yeah, of course, they're negotiating a deal for the ECB. When they're coming down to talking about the, the, the rules of the game and how the game is run at international level, it should be all be about, not money, it should be about the good of the game, developing the game. And you can say what you want about FIFA. One thing they are pretty good at is developing the game in the in the in the in the, the, the smaller poor if you like countries. Well, they're not. Well, for... well they're, they're, they're infinitely better than the ICC. Yeah, yeah. They, they might well be that, but FIFA aren't, aren't a good example. You've got loads of loads of countries who are dominant in their in their qualifying sectors and are only in there to ensure they're in the World Cup. That's why New Zealand yeah, barely. Of course, of, of course, of course, it's, it's not perfect by the imagination, but at least you know. But take Gibraltar, I noticed, won their, won a game yesterday, you know. Ten years ago, they weren't playing football at international level. Now they're winning games at international level, you know. That's never gonna happen in cricket. Never ever gonna happen. You're not gonna see, I can guarantee you in our lifetime, you will never see China in a World Cup. And yet, look at the number of people in China. They should, they, you know, they, there's no reason why they couldn't develop fairly quickly into quite a good cricket. I thought it was interesting it won't ever happen the Olympics because if you took cricket to the Olympics countries would get funding from governments and stuff you've got to remember this massive caveat that cricket itself prior to the IPL was on a life support machine interest had dwindled test cricket the interest in test cricket had dwindled and all the other sports in the world had come up with faster models or you know it didn't take as long and the shot clocks were there people's attention spans are getting shorter it, there are more exciting sports to watch in a 90-minute, three-hour-long session than Test cricket. That's just a fact. The the caveat you've got to remember is the reason that India gets such a large share is because, A, they've taken cricket off the, the life support machine that it was on. Cricket was on the verge of dying. Actually, when you talk about the IPL, and I thought it was interesting in there, that I think one of the people that the journalist spoke to basically said that the IPL isn't really sport. It's, it's basically a new Bollywood. It's, yeah. you, you can question the how pure of cricket it is if you're if you're a cricket traditionalist to be fair because what they're all they're all con, um, new concept franchises that are sponsored by sponsored by big big tech and big money you can argue it's had positive impacts on cricket but it's also had negative impacts as well yeah, the fact that the the guy is it Srivan Srivanwana, yeah. the guy at the top. Like, well, I don't know what his name. I can't remember what his name was. I can't. Pr- I can pronounce it. But yeah. yeah. Well, well pronounced. He owns he owns a franchise and he owns the the biggest concrete company yeah. in, in the country. I mean, listen, it's not a perfect model, but that's that's the way that sport and economics works, isn't it? And I'm not. But I think the documentary itself. Getting back to the documentary. What they uncovered was the people with the biggest market share make the most money and are able to dictate their terms. Well, they that is make all the money. That was the accusation. That happens, that happens in every walk of life. It isn't a controversy. It isn't. It, it's, yeah, it's it, it shouldn't happen in sport, should it? But it happens in, in every. Biz, in, in business, yes. But in sport, the, you know, they they are the custodians. They are looking after the game. Your argument the people. about women's football they, not getting the same wages and not getting the same money is because they don't bring it in. India can dictate what they do yeah. because, because exactly that reason they get the money and they bring it in. It's your argument against you, mate. It's it's it's, it's kind of against your argument as well. No, but how is it? 
Like how? Like I'm not being a, I'm not being aggressive, but how, how does it go against my argument? Well, because you're you you're, you basically said that the, the the amount of money coming in is irrelevant in foot in football in men's and women's international football. International. More money does go into men's international football than it does women's. Yeah, but to, so, so then you then say that don't, that shouldn't apply. That should apply. In, you can understand why it applies in cricket, but it shouldn't apply in football. It's a bit the of salary a, of the players is irrelevant. Though. We're not talking about salary of the players. We're talking about the ability of the 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 FA to command the terms that they want to play on. If the FA, women's football, men's football, whatever. If if the FA say actually we're going to go and play, you know, we're going to go and do a test series against the Faroe Islands, then they can do that. They can t- they, the the FA will dictate where it's played, when it's played, which stadium it's played in. You know, all of those things will be on the FA's choice. It'll be all on their terms. Well, not happens in a FIFA tournament, it wouldn't be. But yeah, but we're not talking about FIFA tournament, are we? We're talking about the FA's having the power, and the Indian the Indians have that power because of the market draw they call it. It's a and, simple, and it's, actually football is going the opposite way to cricket with the votes to increase the amount of teams in the World Cup. That that was criticised in some quarters, but and the opposite's happening in cricket. They're slimming down the amount of teams that play in the cricket World Cup. So it's yeah. the two sports are almost going in in completely parallel direct, in opposite directions, sorry. They're both they're both ridiculous decisions. To expand the FIFA World Cup to forty two teams and then to, to have an eighteen World Cup in cricket with no yeah. qualifiers. They're both a shambles. Yeah, to be fair, they're both and they're both going in the wrong direction. I do agree, but I'm just saying that when you put it like that, yeah, both both um, governing bodies have got that wrong, haven't they? I think. I just I did not see, and I still don't see what the what what the controversy or what the the hook of that documentary was. I, I honestly don't I don't get what the problem is. I don't get what they uncovered that that, that made this that made it worth sitting for an hour and forty minutes and and. and <laughs> I, I, I honestly, a billion people are interested in cricket. Get rid of that. Get rid of that billion people. That the sport dies. It's as simple as that. So obviously you have to pander to them. All, all in all, you thought the documentary was really good, and you can't wait for my next choice. I, I, it, I mean, look, listen, it, it's inspired quite a good debate, and it's inspired. Been, yeah. So I'm not knocking you for picking that documentary. I, I genuinely, I'm, you know, I'm glad I watched it. I won't be watching it again, but I'm glad I watched <laughs> it. And, um, you know, and it's certainly a different light on the cricket documentaries I've watched in the past, which have all been about the players and the sport. And I've got to say, Cowan came across fucking brilliantly. Yeah, uh, really nice bloke. And the sacrifice that you know he and his family have made just to get him to live that dream, and the fact that he's you know he's managed to score a Test century was was amazing. You know it was really good to see that, and that 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 human side of the sport. And the documentary really conveyed that really well. It was beautifully shot. It was beautifully put together. But I, I, in terms of the cricket ball stuff, I, yes, there are, the are, are issues with corruption, but the actual documentary itself didn't really de- detail that as the point as a central focal point of the doc- documentary. It just focused on the future of Test cricket when, you know, the, the financial stuff of India is way more interesting and the corruption that the Indian cricket border has is way more interesting than the wider, the wider future of Test cricket because it hinges on, on, on India. And I think the documentary missed the mark on that for me. I, for yeah, me. I do agree on that front, to be fair. I do, I do agree on that. That was the most interesting yeah, part for me was the corruption within the, the, uh, the Indian cricket board and the IPL. Yeah. Well, it's you, in the breaking news. No. Bit linked very much so to this. Uh, Fenway Sports have put together a proposal to change the way the Premier League works. We'll see so they want to, they want to get rid of the one club, one vote. Yeah. I think. They want to mm-hmm. reduce the Premier League to 18 teams. And they want to scrap the Community Shield and the EFL Cup. Well, I quite agree with getting rid of the League Cup. No. I yeah, I do. 
rubbish tournament. Always has been. But, um, yeah, and apparently, as, as a compensation to the EFL, clubs will be given 250 million pounds. Not each, obviously, but. That'll be good, won't it? FSG, funding Rovers' new stadium. Hell of a stadium. But no, oh, yeah, what I don't like about that is, is it's taken Liverpool 30 years to get to the top and they're pulling the drawbridge up straight after them. Yeah. So that would yeah. be like the Irish getting to the top of it, like, it, like international cricket and then pulling up the drawbridge to stop other teams doing the same thing. That's the, that's the optics that look really bad there. Not yeah. the fact that they've got plans to revolutionise. I think you need to change it. I think certainly the top sports. I want, I want to see a European Super League. Fuck them all off to a European Super League and give us competitive football back. Give us actual leagues that any, any one of 10 teams can win. No, no league has that now. Well, the Premiership, the first bit of the Premiership this year, no one's really stood out, I wouldn't say. Right. Are we ready for our new feature? Yes. This feature is called The Fixture Memory Man. Now, Ollie, I've heard it on good authority that you are an unbelievable memory clot. Is this correct? Yes. Fantastic. Right. I'm going to test that memory, that memory bank of yours. Do you remember on the 4th of September, 2004, Bristol Rovers nil, Shrewsbury Town nil? Yes. Oh, he's good, isn't he, Andy? Hmm. He's good. That's, 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 that's good knowledge. Good knowledge. I mean, the test. I, I don't recall that. I don't recall that again. <laughs> There'll be more yeah, but... from the Fixture Memory Man next week. <laughs> right. Are we ready for round two of Andy versus Ollie? Yes. Oh, he's good. He's good. <laughs> it's the wrong feature, Andy. <laughs> right, 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 sorry. Right, are we ready? Are we ready for this week's Andy versus Ollie? Okay, let's go. Let's it's, go. This is probably the highlight of my thing last week. I really enjoyed it. So this week's Andy versus Ollie. Ollie is currently one nil up in the series. So we'll yeah, go. We'll let, we'll let Andy go first here. This is higher or lower on football stadiums worldwide capacity. Play your cards right. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, Have you got any dollars coming to do the dealing? No, sadly, it's just me. Um, so I've got 10 stadiums. And you've got to tell me if it's higher or lower. So if the next one's higher, then the next, obviously you know higher or lower works. I don't know why I'm explaining it. Well, so yeah, it I'm, I'm glad you explained that because I was a little bit confused. To be fair. It's clear as day now, isn't it? Mm, it could yeah. be a whitewash. It could. It, Ollie might not even have a chance to score a point here. It could be that good. So whoever gets know, over the line is whoever gets over the line. We're not going to do if you get one right, you get one point. You win it if you win at the end. It's as simple as that. All right. Right. right this right. is incredible. Is tense stuff. The, the tension is building. Nervous. We're going to start with the Bernabeu. Now, the Bernabeu okay. has a capacity of 81,044 currently. Um, they are expanding it. The next stadium is the Stade de France. Is the Stade de France capacity higher or lower than the Bernabeu? Higher. That is incorrect. I can start looking. <laughs> <laughs> Stade de France has a capacity of 80,698. Oh, so it is close. The next, so Ollie, it's you now. You've got the chance to, you've got the chance to run, run home. You're like Kelly Holmes from our clip earlier on. Do-do. 
Is Open your legs and show your class. <laughs> is the Allianz Arena in Munich higher or lower in terms of capacity than the Stade de France? Lower. It is lower. Yes. 75,000 exactly. Which I don't believe, actually. But 75,000 is the official verdict. We'll now go across to Marseille and the Stade Velodrome. Is that higher or lower than the Allianz Arena? Lower. It is lower. Oh, yes. <laughs> Stad Velodrome has 67,394 capacity. So, again, quite a big ground. Oh. The next stadium is the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. Ooh. I'm going higher. It is higher. Oh, yes. 70,634. So only just, only a couple of thousand in it. We've had Marseille. We're now going to go across to Lyon. The Parc Olympique in Lyon. Is that higher or lower than the Stadio Olimpico of Rome? Lower. It is lower and it's much lower. 59,186. The next stadium is Celtic Park. Is that higher or lower? Ooh. Higher. It is higher. Oh, yes. 60,411. Jesus, you've only got three left. Can you do it? The next one is Anfield. Is that higher or lower than Celtic Park? Lower. It is lower. Yes. 54,074 is the official capacity of Anfield. We now go across to Germany for Borussia Park, home of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Is that higher or lower than Anfield? Is that with or without the safe stand then? This is just the capacity that I've got off Wikipedia, mate. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> higher. It is lower. Oh, no. Oh. You're not going to believe this. There's a difference of seven seats. Oh, no. <laughs> 54,067 seats. I'll get one for the victory. So we've gone from Borussia Park, home of Borussia Mönchengladbach. We're now going to hop over the channel to the Aviva Stadium, Dublin. Is that higher or lower than Borussia Park? Higher. He's had two opportunities to score. He did no heavy lifting in that round whatsoever. Ollie did all. <laughs> Ollie carried the torch. From question two to question nine, all, he, all Andy had to do was guess correctly. Was the Aviva Stadium bigger or smaller in terms of capacity than Borussia Park? Andy went higher. It is, in fact, lower. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> the Aviva Stadium's capacity is 51,700. <laughs> oh, it's a good game. It's a good game. Stupid Glory. Game. The glory has gone to Ollie. What's your thoughts, Ollie? What are your immediate reactions? I'm so, so happy to have won that. I thought I'd thrown it away there, but Monksy oh, really was that, wasn't he? <laughs> Monksy, what are your thoughts? Stupid game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bottled it. You bottled it twice. Oh, that was good. That was good, wasn't it? Good little... Um... Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good, very good, very good. <laughs> right, that's big. Done in terms of content and schedule. I've got nothing else for you. We could do a quick game of Andy Monkhouse, see if Andy can... Uh, no, no, we're not playing Andy Monkhouse. See if Andy can pull back his dignity. Seeing stupid games. 
Well, that's it then. I think unless any of you've got anything else to to say, any have you got any sort of plans this week? Anything exciting coming up? No, nope. no. Nope. Well, next week is going to be. <laughs> What's um? We've got some news regarding next week's pod, Andy. Do you want to do you want to tell the listeners what that might be? Well, all being well, we should hopefully have a couple of um, special guests coming on. Um, we've got Mark O'Brien, who was uh, captain of Newport County during their um, Great Cup runs recently and their trip to Wembley. And of course, the Great Escape, where he scored the goal on the last day of the season, which kept Newport County in the Football League. Um, and with him, we should hopefully also have Neil Leak, who is the kit man. At Newport County, so he's also got some very interesting tales and stories. Um, I can't wait to ask him some going questions. to. Uh, he's a he's a very very funny man. He's a very funny man, is Neil. Um, so yeah, should we go? We've got uh, apparently as well. Marco Bryan's well into his hurling, so you might want to get yeah. some hurling questions ready. Um, yeah, he's a, he was a good hurler in his day, apparently. Yeah, I'm, that's good news. I think the obvious clip next week is going to be the the, the goal that he scored to keep them up. A little bit of hurling involved as well. I think if we've got guests, I think a documentary is going to be pointless to have next week, isn't it? So we'll have to suspend the documentary until next to, to the week after, um, just because yeah. it's just going to go on too long. Um, but no, that's really exciting. I, it's really, really good. That would be a good laugh, that. So you're going to record that at the Columbia Club, are you? Um, well, we can't because there's bingo on. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to do? They're just going to come around to yours? I don't know. I, I got to speak to Neil on Monday, and we will we will firm up all the arrangements. But he, 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 might, he might be at the club in a minute when I go out there. So we could just do in a the Zoom. Vatican. The Vatican. Papa Francesco is on the door, mate. Lovely stuff. <laughs> cool. So that's that's exciting. Um, I I started the new job last week, and I wanted to talk about this earlier, but I completely forgot. And. What is it about starting a new job that turns you into the dickhead in the room? Like, what I, you do things that you just never normally do when you start a new job. So I start, I started, and it was obviously the Rona's going around in a minute, but I was having sort of breathing difficulties that day. I just had quite a tight chest, so I took vapor rubbing on my first day. So I, I'm the not only am I the new guy, I'm the dickhead who turns up with fucking vapor rubbing. Smelling rub. a Vicks. Smelling a Vicks on his first day. Like, what a rubbish first impression that is. And it gets worse. Second day, I'm not only the guy, the new guy, I'm the new guy who started with vapor rub on his chest. I'm also then the new guy who started on his vapor rub on his chest on the first day. On his second day, came in with dog shit on the bottom of his trainers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah, you're knocking him out of the park here, mate. Oh, I've got so many friends. <laughs> you got a job to go back to this week? Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> and then what I've also done is because I'm quite a, you know quite a stingy bloke, I lead, I lead as, as frugal a lifestyle as I can, I thought, ah, oh, and they wear like smart casual stuff. So I thought, oh, do you know what? I'll just 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 buy the same t-shirt and just have the same t-shirt to wear every day. So I've got eight pairs. I've genuinely got eight pairs of this grey t-shirt. So not only am I the dickhead who turns up in the vapor rub with the dog shit on his trainers, I look like the bloke who wears the same clothes every day to work. <laughs> you look you look like Homer Simpson. I literally I literally I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out. Hang on. He's Homer. He's coming in in like a white t-shirt and blue trousers every day. So that's that for this week. Thanks for listening. We're at Totenbar on Twitter. 
We will have Mark O'Brien and Leakey, the Newport County kitman, next week as special guests. And following that, we have a very interesting county cricketer joining us. Stay tuned for more.